Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Isaac, and you're listening to the Gentleman's Atlas podcast, where we provide you with honest and authentic conversation to assist you in becoming the hero of your story and live life on your terms. I'm excited for the message in today's conversation. So let's get right into today's episode. And welcome back, gentlemen, to another episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. Thank you all for tuning in today. And today is going to be another guest interview where I bring on someone who is a bit of an expert in the field they do. There's someone that I believe is going to provide massive value to help you on your journey to become the hero of your story. So with this guest, I want to bring on someone that I feel has a lot of experience, but more than that, has the ability to have this natural conversational flow that can provide the value through stories, through ideas, and where we can go on a back and forth journey where we really just talk and get into the depth of becoming that best version of yourself. So without further ado, let me bring on today's guest, Steve. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Isaac. And for those of you who don't know me, there's a certain way I like to introduce myself. And so I'm going to go ahead and do it right here. What's up, family? It's your coach, Steve Bacon. <laughs> now, it's what's interesting about that is some people find that very annoying, but then they keep watching my videos and all of a sudden I'll see them somewhere or they talk to me and then they quote me on that. They literally go, Steve Bacon. So it'll grow on you. Hey, Amen. I love it. I love it. Man. You got to have the catchphrase. You got to have the welcome. It'll grow on you. Who it is. It's oh, so man. funny when people walk up to me and go, I hated that when I first heard it, but now I can't stop saying it every time I talk about you. Exactly. Got a stick, man. Got a stick. But I appreciate you having me here. I'm excited to be here, and uh, I'm I'm really grateful to add value to your listeners. And for those of you that are listening, this could be a very transformative conversation if you let it. If you listen to this conversation about you and not about me, it will absolutely transform who you are being right there in your seats or wherever you are listening. Listen to this about you, not about me. Yeah. And as we open to getting a little bit more of your backstory and introduction, so we can move into like all the, I think all the gems we're going to talk about today. The main thing that I really want to add on there is, you know, knowledge is extremely powerful, but applied knowledge is life-changing. It's not all, it's until the knowledge is applied, it's executed in the way that you see fit in your life. That's when real change takes place. Not when you're reading, not when you're watching stuff, not when you're learning, but when you take what you've learned and you use the power that you have to make it your reality. That's where the true power lies. But Steve, I'm ready. That's a lot of wisdom for a young brother. I love it. Let's, Let's dive it. in, man. What do you want? What do you want to know? I want to know, let's go back to Steve at 20 years old. What was he like? What was he doing? Steve at 20 years old had just uh, pled guilty to a felony that he didn't know he was even committing. Um, Getting married for the second time. Yes, at 20, getting married for the second time. Um, Had an alcohol problem. uh, Massive anger issues. Fresh off of an attempted suicide that went wrong uh luckily um and trying to figure out can i cuss on your podcast bro you got full range to whatever you want to say oh, okay 
I'm just making sure, you know, I'm on a lot of podcasts, so I just want to make sure that, you know, who the hell is. But at 20 years old, I'm all of those things and trying to figure out what the fuck to do next. Because I knew two things at that point. I knew one, I didn't want to try to kill myself again. 18 years old, lock myself in the bathroom, put a loaded gun in my mouth and pull the trigger. The only thing that saved me was God. I knew I didn't want to try that again because that was instant regret. I realized in that moment I didn't want to die. I just didn't know how to live. The second thing I knew was I didn't want to live like a felon. And so it was what to do next. And I met this guy named Hank, who, long story short, said to me, if you just change how you see yourself and what you believe about yourself, everything will change. I had no idea what he meant. But it was an it sparked enough curiosity for me to follow him. And then he stuffed so much personal development down my throat. I started to see my self-image changed and what I believed was possible change. And that led to the 18 years later to the life I have now, which is fucking incredible. Yeah, that I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there. But I feel like it's it's important for some people to see someone that wasn't always winning. That, that saw right. someone that like maybe could understand their struggles. Because you can learn from everyone. But for unfortunately, for a lot of people, it's hard to learn from people that you can't relate to. Right. I think that you've established kind of a guideline like, hey, like I wasn't always like this. I wasn't composed. I didn't know what I want. And it's important to recognize that. It's important to recognize that like, hey… I mean, even people that we don't relate to have their struggles. But Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've always seen is like, at some point, you've just got to recognize that you can either accept everything that's happened as happening to you, or you can finally just be like, you know what? Like, I'm going to use all this and I'm going to be better than anything, anyone that ever thought I was less than. Like, I'm going to finally do something that, that matters to me. Like, I think it's that inflection where like, all the negative energy becomes a fuel and it can be dangerous, but it does become a fuel to, to kind of change your life. Like I think I've always said there's, there's inflection points. And I think like you just mentioned with the suicide, that realization that you didn't want to die is, is an important part to realize because I think, and I've, and I've seen this with some people, they realize that they don't want to die. They just wanted to kill a part of themselves that they didn't like. They themselves didn't want to die, but it was something within them that they didn't like. The way you lived, the way you were treated. Like, it could be any of those things, but it's it's that piece where you have to realize it's it's something. It's a virus. It's a disease within you. It's not who you are, right? You're not trying to kill the person that you are. You're trying to kill what's not making you the person you want to be. And I think that realization through different ways of realizing it is what gives us the beautiful benefit of starting to change things and frankly, just getting our shit together. No, that you just you just nailed it. I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever had anyone nail it that. I'm, first of all, as, as many talks and podcasts and everything else that I've done over the last 18 years, I've never heard anybody say what you just said, that you didn't want to die. There was just a kill. There was a part of you that you wanted to kill that. If I said it correctly, that right there. Bomb. That right there was so bomb. And I'm going to give you credit, but I'm using that because that was in that was in such an incredible insight. But it's also very true. And today I run a global coaching company 
I have clients from all over the world. This year, I'll earn 400 grand and just coaching fees from referrals from people all over the world because I've built a reputation of helping people heal in hours, what will take them years in therapy, and then creating the impossible. I became an author. I'm a happily married man to the best woman in the world who I've never laid a hand on besides in the bedroom, if you know what I mean, right? <laughs> so, and I'm one of the most emotionally healthy people you will ever meet. And so people will always want to know, well, what happened between 20 years old and now 38 years old? What happened in those 18 years? And the only thing that happened was I changed how I saw myself. My income didn't even started to double and triple until the last like six years. And the reason being is because I still did not see myself at the level that I see myself now. Nothing else changed. I remember when my income went from 50,000 to 100, 100 to 2, 200 to 4. And the only thing that changed was my self-image. That was it. And so, yes, there is a lot to unpack and I'm willing to go whatever direction you want to go. I'm an open book. So feel free to ask me whatever you want to ask. Just be careful what you ask because I'm going to answer it. (laughs) So if you really don't want them to know it, don't ask it because I'm going to answer it. But I'm going to share this to whoever's listening right now, whatever you're going through. There's nothing wrong with you. And whatever you are going through, if you just go through it, and don't wish it was different, you'll be fine. Yeah. There's there's something I want I want your piece on. And it's, yeah. it's this idea of a lot of modern day solutions to emotional and mental issues, trauma, whatever you want to call it, they focus a lot more on the symptoms than they do the actual root cause, right? They they deal with a lot of coping mechanisms, even if they are healthy, but they don't actually get rid of the problem. You're saying your story, and we're talking about you when you were 20 and all these things going on, and you recognized again this idea that you did not want to die. When you said that to yourself, how long did it take and what changed for you to actually realize how you wanted to live? So... I wanted to touch on that coping that coping thing and getting rid of the problem. The way I explain this to my clients is this. Coping is like having a trash can full of shit sitting in your living room learning how to deal with the smell. It's sitting right there. And you've got your Febreze and you got your face mask and you got your candles and you're trying to just flush out this toxic ass smell, but it's still there. You're just learning to deal with it. And eventually it gets to the point where you don't need all this extra stuff anymore. You're so used to the smell that you can't even smell it anymore. But someone else walks into your house and goes, it smells like shit in here. Right. So that's coping. Healing is getting butt naked, jumping in that trash can, cleaning it out, wiping it down with bleach and pushing that son bitch outside. That takes a lot more courage, commitment and work. But when you're done, you're done. So to answer your question of when Hank took me to this conference and I saw these people tell these rags to riches stories, I couldn't have been no older than 21, 20, maybe 19, 20. 
And I saw all these people telling rags to riches stories and some of them who had worse beginnings than I did. And every last one of them kept saying, if you change what you believe about yourself, everything will change. That's all I knew. But then no one explained to me what this belief shit was. You know, you ever notice how many personal development books talk about uh, you just got to change what you believe, but they never actually go deep into what a belief is and what a belief is not. They never actually go there. And there's also one other thing. There are six dimensions of change. There's changing your environment, changing how you feel emotionally, changing how you look, changing how you behave. But those first four are temporary because wherever you go, there you are. You're a human being, so you're going to experience a whole lot of emotions. So if you only try to focus on being happy, you're going to disappoint yourself. If you just change how you look, if you put a lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And if you only try to focus on your behavior, you know, they say uh, reward, trigger, or what is it? Uh, what is it? What is it? The is it you then trigger um, response reward reward right that works so long as you can consciously focus on whatever it is that you're doing but the minute your attention gets diverted your subconscious mind takes over and i got a story for that uh if you want me to go deeper into that but there are only four there are four temporary uh dimensions of change and whenever you go to these conferences or you read a lot of these books they're only talking about the first four. And the reason being is because it gets the greatest, it gets the fastest return on your investment. But then that's the reason why you, you end up creating personal development junkies. It's because they're going from conference to conference to conference to conference, getting temporary levels of change. The two permanent levels of change is your belief system and your self-image, how you see yourself, who you're being. But that takes a hell of a lot more work. And then you have to be able to you have to be willing to deal with people's shit in order to work at those two levels. So a lot of conferences and a lot of books don't even touch that stuff. When I work with my clients, we work at the level of beliefs and who you're being self-image and we get it gets ugly, but it works. Go ahead. I think. Even like even more than just the work aspect, which a lot of people, it pushes them away. It's the fact that you have to take ownership for your life and you have to be radically honest with yourself when you're talking mm -hmm. about because you have to realize things that you like push down for years. Just like the example with the trash can, like it's like like literally the fact of you jumping in the trash can is you understanding the past. It's you understanding mm -hmm. all the shit that makes up who you are today and of course you can't clean something if you don't even know what you're cleaning right you got to get into it to know what to use to right. stop it. and i think it's that component of like jumping in it's like dude that that's so uncomfortable for most people and rightly so but it's like until you get there you're never gonna be who you need to be and i think it's always this example it's like dude it might suck it might feel like shit to do what's necessary to heal but on the flip side is that worse than the alternative which is to go on with continued trauma and never filling your full potential, or even being at peace with who you are? Well, you know, a lot of times, especially when I'm working with clients, yes, they are deathly afraid of going through the process. But there's two parts to fear. There's the actual sensation of fear. 
right? There's the, the emotion you feel. That's the first part. The second part is the thing you're actually afraid of when you actually investigate it, right? Like I had a client who was afraid of fly flying. 40 years, she didn't fly. I had her go look at the Hodge twins on uh, TikTok and for two weeks, just binge watch all their videos because they talk about people. They talk about the answers to people who have a fear of flying. Long story short, she comes back two weeks later. and She's like, I booked a flight to go see my sister. I'm like, what happened? She says, well, when I actually did the investigating and looked up the research on the likelihood of a plane going down, I realized that it probably never happened. Right. I got a better chance at walking down the stairs and falling before a plane goes down. So when it comes to healing, people have this built up idea of what's it going to take for them to go and heal. When really, when you actually get into it, you realize it's not that big of a deal. Here's the reason. Because most people are still looking through their to their past through a child's eyes. And to a child, it is devastating. 85% of what we believe about ourselves, we decide by the time we're 14. And every single person listening to this right now, including me, including you, before we were probably 14 years old, wrote a thesis on ourselves. Let me explain what that means. Between the ages zero and four, a child has no idea they're even alive. That's why we love babies so much. It's pure, straight out of the manufacturer. But right around four or five years old, conscious awareness kicks in, and that's like waking out of a coma with amnesia. You have no idea who you are. Think about your earliest memory. What were you before that? Before that earliest memory, what the fuck was happening? You have no idea. So you just woke up one day, and then boom, there's your first memory. So then the innate question becomes, who am I? And my wife, when she had to get her, when she had to write a thesis to get her master's, she had to pick a problem, pose, pose a question, do a, a bunch of research, and then come up with a conclusion. And then her thesis was the conclusion and all of her research and cited sources. Every child does the same thing. When that initial question becomes, who am I? We have to look to the people in our environment, our moms, our dads, our caretakers, our brothers, our sisters, our teachers. We look to the environment, and based on how they treat us, we make a decision about who we are and what we deserve in that moment as a child. And that becomes the foundation for which we built our life on. It's the same thing that will happen if today you woke up with amnesia right now. How would you figure out who you are? Oh, my driver's license. Yeah, that'll tell you what your name is. Well, I'd look at pictures. That'd tell you who you've been with, but how would you know who you are? You would be relying on other people's opinions of you to give you an idea of who you are. Does that make sense? You know, it's funny. You brought up like ideas. I think I haven't thought about in like, honestly, the longest time. It's so funny. <laughs> there's, there's one thing I want to say, and it's hilarious because I haven't, it's from a book I read probably like 10 years ago. I loved it. It was about like this like magic stuff, elves, like ancient times, whatever. And it was this one part in the book. And it was like a dragon rider sort of theme book with like magic and like elves and all this stuff. And it was this war between elves and dragons. And what happened was is that in the battle, um, 
they finally formed a pact because they realized how much blood was being shed. But what led to this is that after this peace, there was a group of, of, um, of the elves and the dragons who turned on everyone else and they formed their own little thing. And the dragons were so outraged and they were so powerful because of their minds that they came up with a spell that they didn't even explain with words, only with thoughts. And it was called the mm. banishing of names. And my point here is that all of those dragons that were assigned to writers, people, these dragons were incredibly smart, smarter than the people themselves. They could do things just by thinking. The banishing of names didn't just strip them of their actual names, but their identity. Anything that labeled who they were they couldn't use anymore because they were unable to use it. Like even the colors of the dragons themselves, they couldn't even say, like they couldn't say the dragon was green because that was labeling who they were. And so That's what so became is becoming the most intelligent creatures that walk the planet to just being animals, being the child between zero and four. So much so that it drove the half of the dragons and the riders who had a connection to them insane because they couldn't find their own identity. And I'm just like, I'm thinking about it now. I'm like, the fact is, is like the identity piece construes everything that we are, right? And it's formed by so many layers. And I, th I think it, it's not you. Yeah. No, yeah. please keep going. You just got me hyped because I love this story. Please keep talking. <laughs> You're good, I'm just, no, it's just, it's crazy because I literally haven't thought about that idea in so long. And I didn't, I never thought about this way, obviously, but it's like this idea, the banishing of names. The worst thing you could have is being stripped of an identity. So if that's the like, honestly, like, you know, losing that identity piece comparative to like even your life, it goes to me to this idea of like, maybe every man exists, but not every man lives or like everyone exists, but they don't always live. And it's, and, it's 100%. Just, and I'm like, there's literally people who are 40 years old, are 50 years old, and they don't know what they want with their lives and they don't even know who they are. And, and in terms, I call them the walking dead, man. Like they live in a body, but like, if you don't like, they don't know, they're exactly. literally unconscious. They don't know. Exactly. And that's where the compassion, but that's where the compassion has to come in. Yeah. Because you and I only know what we know because we've actually gone out and done the research and, and started digging into ourselves. That's the only reason why we know what we know. Yeah. Right. There's that old saying, I know what I know. I know what I don't know but I don't know what I don't know. So a lot of these folks are what we call unconscious creators. They're creating their lives, but they have no idea they're the ones creating it. And because they're the ones creating it, but don't know they're creating it, then they call victim to their own creations. Yeah. But getting mad at them is like me getting mad at you for getting the answers wrong on a test that you didn't even know was coming uh, in a class that you didn't even know you were supposed to take from a university that you didn't even know you were supposed to go to. Like it just, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And that's where a lot of folks are, which is why when more of us live out our dream lives and then just keep talking about, it's about who you become, who you become, who you become, then it starts to turn the light on for folks, right? A, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. But most people have no idea that they're even underperforming because they're still stuck at 14 years old emotionally. Most of these 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, I don't care. Even if they have a doctoral degree, I've coached them all. 
most people are older with their legs and, and arms and they're bigger and they've got longer hair. They've been around, but 14 emotionally still because wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom comes with reflection. I'm only 38 years old, but I've reflected on all 38 years. Yeah. Which is why I have all the wisdom that I have. And your mind cannot hold on to a negative emotion and a positive understanding at the same time. No. And I think that's, I think that's the part too, where people have to realize because a lot of stuff too, especially in the personal development world, it's, it's very generalized and people, if they don't understand it, they can take it in the ways that isn't, that it just doesn't benefit them. Like I think, I mean, I'm sure you've heard it all the time and I'm, I'm sure you've probably said it at some point, this idea of letting go. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's, it's hard for people to let go but that, like, that's the transition part that you just talked about. You can't hold on to a negative emotion with a positive understanding. That's the period of letting go. That's, that's the, the letting go. That's the letting you go. You have to first understand and then have a positive association or look at it in a positive association because I think that's the point too. It's like, you don't look at it. You decide to like look at it. It's, it's an idea. Like Again, it's your control. You're writing yeah. it or you're writing the narrative. Again, that idea, you're becoming the hero of your story. You're not looking at other people's stories and saying, oh, you know, that's cool. Like, no, like, stop. And I think that's an idea too that I've always talked about, like being a producer versus a consumer, right? You can be a consumer who create, who lives in their own life, but it's unconscious, right? Because it's always based on external things. And I think it's lacking mm-hmm. an understanding of inward versus when you're a producer, it stems from the inward. It starts here and then it goes out. And that creates that piece of awareness that ties into what you actually do. And I think that's the difference with the, with the unconscious and the conscious is that awareness tied with action rather than just action tied to response in that sense. You're, how old are you? 19. How old? 19. 19. <laughs> this is what I mean. Wisdom does not come with age. It comes with reflection. If you were listening to this 19-year-old and not knowing he was 19, I would have thought you were in your 30s or 40s. That's exactly what I'm talking about. There's another piece that you said just a moment ago about the positive letting go of uh, what letting go actually is. So let me give an example of that. And, and replacing the negative emotion with a positive understanding. When I was eight years old, my father showed up out of the clear blue sky. I had no idea who this guy was. My mom had just dropped me off the night before. Now, my mom, I, I grew up in crack houses. So I would always get dropped off at my grandmother's house when my mom wanted to go on a really long binge or whatever. So this one particular weekend, she drops me off at my grandmother's house. This random dude shows up the next day and says, you're coming to live with me. I had no idea who this man was. I'm looking at my grandma like, you really finna let me walk out of here with this dude? And then he gives me an ass whooping for being disrespectful to him. So we really on the wrong foot. I don't know you. And you putting your hands on me? We got a problem. So I'm looking at my grandmother, asking where's my mother, as this man is taking me out of the house. And the question you have to ask yourself is, how does an eight-year-old process that? Because in in our community, there's this whole, I don't need to explain myself to a child. So they leave it up to a child to decide what this means. 
And not to mention, I'm eight years old. So what do I have? Like maybe three years of conscious living experience. So I shouldn't be making life decisions at eight years old. But here I am. So I decide what this meant. And I only learned this in retrospect that they didn't want me, that the women who love me will leave me. That's what this means. And when you experience that level of trauma, your mind will take a snapshot of whatever caused it and then create a strategy to never put yourself in a position to feel that ever again. And so the, 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 what my mind came up with was never trust a woman who says she loves you. Now, fast forward 10 years later, I'm married for the first time. Everything is great. But when the girl says she loves me, all of a sudden I turn into a different person. And then I become jealous and angry and abusive. And then when she finally left, and rightfully so, I go, see, never trusted. See, that's why I can't trust him. See, she did leave, right? And that was a vicious cycle that I kept running until I decided to do the deep work. I'm wrapping this up. Until I decided to do the deep work. I go to my mother at 28 years old. And I said, Mom, I trace my issues back to women with my issues with women back to when I was eight. Why did you give me up? And she said, boy, what the fuck is you talking about? If you ever know who Medea is, that was my mom. Like Tyler Perry's Medea, that was my mom. Gun toting, Bible quoting, weed smoking, will cuss you out, quote Jesus and threaten your life all in the same sentence. That was my mom. <laughs> She said, what the fuck are you talking about? And I explained to her what the scenario was. And she said, no, you got it all wrong. My mom then goes to tell me that she dropped me off with all intentions to pick me up. But when she got back, I was gone. My grandmother apparently had tracked my father down, helped him get custody, and then called my mother to drop me off and called my father to come pick me up. Because my my grandmother, that was her attempt to put me in a safer environment. But for 20 years, I treated my mother like less than a human being. I abused, manipulated women, all type of shit. Based on a lie, I told myself when I was eight years old because I was too young to understand what the hell was happening. So I hear I had this negative emotion of abandonment. And when I went back and looked at it or got some more information, I was able to replace that with a positive understanding and my abandonment issues went away, which is why I have the successful marriage I have now. There's a lot there that for me just, I mean, it just strikes true. That's just simply put to say it, but it's this idea of, um, there's this idea, what you preach in moderation, others will do in excess. And what I mean by that saying is this idea of if you have something like that, something that's monumental, who's that's led some of your actions to who you are today. So for example, your relationship with woman for the longest time, right? That idea transcends into this concept of if you have that, like that internalized identity, which isn't part of your identity, but you internalized it as part of your identity, couple that with the content and media that's being pushed out. So in your sense, if you came, like right now, if you were 20 again, and you're in this era where you have all this red pill and all this negativity towards women, I honestly believe if you hadn't done that deep work, you would fall into that trap. 
what happens is, is that when you hear that idea that coincides with your beliefs about the world, it's going to strengthen it. It's going to reinforce it. And it's rooted in, in false pretenses and false roots. But because you believe in it, coupled with others showing you that it's right, it creates a really bad spiral. And that's that idea too. Like, like you said it too. I and the relationship ended, and I was like, "See, I told you, woman always gonna leave when they say I love you." You hear red pill all the time. That's literally what they say. And what right. are red pill audiences? Guys that had bad experiences with women, guys that didn't get the time of day from women. So what do they do? They preach it like it's the gospel. And man, that- they are selling trauma. <laughs> You just, let's just call it what it is, Isaac. They're selling their trauma yeah. and calling it personal development. Yeah. They're building walls around themselves, putting themselves in a prison and calling that enlightenment, calling that personal development. It's bullshit. That's yeah. why I can call it out. Yeah. And a belief, to to even touch on what you're saying about beliefs, a belief is nothing but a strong emotion attached to an idea. That's it. It is a strong emotion attached to an idea. That's why when you attack people's ideas without first helping them understand what a belief is in the first place, if you just attack people's beliefs or their ideas, you're going to get all of the emotion because that's all it is. Right. What was Jesus? Now we're going to go deep. It, depending on who you ask, Jesus was either a the, the, the son of God, a, a prophet or con man. Now, it depends on which religion you subscribe to. Christians believe he was a son of God. Muslims believe he was a, uh, the prophet before Muhammad. And. Uh, Jewish people believe he was basically a cult leader. Yeah. But each one is willing to die for what they believe. Which is very different than a fact. Fact is, gravity is real. Doesn't matter if you believe. You don't have to believe in gravity. You jump off a roof, your ass is hitting the ground. That's a fact. I don't care how if you believe it or not. Yeah. And you can only believe something you don't know. I'm going to repeat that. So you can only believe in something you don't actually know. I don't need to believe that one plus one equals two. I know that no matter how many different ways you cut it, one plus one equals two. Even with that crazy ass, you know, un- unnecessary, hard ass math they do it now in schools that my son is doing in schools, one plus one still comes out to two. So I don't need to believe in that. I know it. You can actually only believe in something you don't have factual proof for. So when people say, well, I believe I'm not good enough, you don't have enough information to make that assumption. You believe it, which means you have a strong feeling that you're not good enough. But that only comes from experiences based on misinterpreted childhood experiences. Notice I said misinterpreted. It's not to say that things didn't happen to us. You just misinterpreted it because a child is young, emotional, don't have enough life experience to explain what's happening, very short-sighted, self-centered, black and white. Uh, What's the other word I'm looking for? 
um, and makes everything about them. Egotistical. Yes, that's what chi- that's who children are, and rightfully so. So, if something happens, you know, if, I could even give you a, a a basic example. You know, when I was a kid, if my dad bought me the shoes that I wanted, he loves me. If he doesn't buy me these shoes, he hates me and wants me to get picked on in school. And right, so children are very black and white, but peace lies in the gray. So uh, whatever it is that you believe about yourself, that you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're not deserving, whatever that deep rooted thought is, that is the decision of a child. Now, I want you to imagine an eight year old making all of your life's decisions, because that's exactly what's happening. And until you're willing to go and what I what I call put that eight year old on the stand. Right. I, I, I call it the belief theory court of appeals. Yeah. Because when you made that decision that you're not good enough, the judge was eight years old. The jury was eight years old. The eyewitness was eight years old. The prosecutor was eight years old. And there was no defense attorney and no cross-examination. You completely convicted yourself, judge, jury, and executioner, solely based on the eyewitness testimony of a child. Yeah. And if you cross-examine that child, you will realize you just made a bunch of shit up and made a lot of assumptions and made shit mean stuff that didn't mean what you thought it meant and made things that had nothing to do with you personal. And rooted in reality. I mean, like, think about it. Like, as a child, you're forced to come up with gaps. So if you can't explain it, well, you might as well just try whatever you know. Like, if you're an eight-year-old, you use limited experience <laughs> to fill in those gaps. And you actually... Yes! That's what I'm saying! Oh, man. Like it's like what they talked about Michelangelo, right? They asked Michelangelo, "How did you create this this David?" Right? Remember the statue of David? Yeah. So yeah. How did you create this? He says, "I didn't need to create it. David was already in there. I just needed to chip away at everything that wasn't him, and yeah. there he was. Everything that you need in order to create your life, whoever's listening to this right now, you're already it. Yeah. Yeah. You're already it, it's." We'll make it even easier than it's already within you. You are it, other than the fact that you think you're not. It's that simple. It is not who you are that holds you back, as Bob Proctor says. It's not who you are. It's who you believe you're not. So the simple question is, who do you believe you're not? And why? Because you are everything you already need, besides the idea that you're not. People, I'm not... I'm trying to get whole and complete. You are whole and complete, other than the idea that you're not. There's nothing wrong with you other than the fact that you believe something's wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> nothing's wrong with you. Oh man. You remind me, you remind me of this this story that I, I love to I love to just think about sometimes. You ever heard of a guy named Dave Mustang? D- no. He was Dave the guy Mustang. He started Megadeth, which was like a rock band uh, a couple decades back. And he went on to, I think, have the second highest record um, of selling albums or whatever. Like he, like he was one of the best that did it. And his entire life, he was unhappy because he got kicked out of a band when he was younger. And he always wanted to be better than that band. That was his measure of success. You know who the band was that he got kicked out of? 
Who? Metallica. Stop. Second best seller, right? Record setting, massive profits by anyone's uh, anyone else's standards. Incredibly successful. Millions. Crazy. He compared himself every time to Metallica because that was the band he got kicked out of and he always wanted to be better than them and every single time he lost. So in his eyes, he was a loser for his entire life. I don't know how he died, but I'm pretty sure he died still wishing he was beating Metallica. <laughs> he never got over it his entire life since he was a child. And like, uh, that's your point about like, I'm not good enough. There's a lot of things that go with it. But the one thing I was thinking about, it's relative. Like, yeah, by some standards, thank you. you can be good enough. Like if you're an actor in a small town in Iowa, yeah, you might not be good enough to win an Oscar by your standards, but that's not, that's not the point. That's not the point, right? Ernest Hemingway said it best. There's nothing noble about being superior to your former man. True nobility lies in being former to, to your being superior to your former self. That, Whoever's listening to this right now, if you're not following this kid for the rest of your life, you're tripping. If I had Isaac's mind at 19 years old, 20 years ago, if I had his mind, I'd be a billionaire right now. At 38, I'd be a billionaire. I cannot believe you're 19, but you're nailing it. It's relative. And in order to, because there's a lot of folks, especially like 20, between 20 and like 30, right? They have this idea that I'm going to prove people wrong. Let me tell you what's wrong with that whole idea. In order to prove you wrong, Isaac, I first have to accept what you believe and take it on for myself. So if you believe I'm not good enough and then I go, I'm going to prove you wrong. I first have to accept that I'm not good enough in order to feel the need to have to prove you wrong. So I'm actually taking that on and saying, I'm going to show you. Instead of saying, okay, you think I'm not good enough? I think I am good enough and I am will prove me right. I'm not going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove me right. Because when you... And I, my friend Seth Pepper told me this. He said, and I think he got this from Russell Wilson, to be honest. He said, if you focus on proving people wrong, where's your, where's your motivation when you actually succeed? When you actually get to that goal, there's nothing else driving you because you've proved people wrong. But you still feel empty on the inside. But if you focus on proving yourself right, this is who I'm going to become. And you focus on proving yourself right. When you get there, you're motivated to prove yourself right again. I think more than just motivation. You are, if you set a goal of proving someone wrong, that becomes the, the mission. In a sense, some people even think of it as a purpose. There's, you feel empty, one, but you also feel lost. Because what's mm -hmm. next? I proved them wrong. Great. I'm still 25 and I still got a whole life to live. Right? Like what, what would have what? happened? What would have happened if this guy that I told you, Dave Mustaine, if you want to be in Metallica one year, I beat him. Oh, I have a following of people that look up to me. Oh, because I think there's this idea that a lot of people can't fathom. And it's this idea of looking from above, looking down a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Because when you have to step back and acknowledge everything that you are, you have to acknowledge in some sense that you've done right. 
that you've won in some capacity to recognize where you are compared to where you were. And when you see that, it scares you because maybe you don't think, you think you're not where you're supposed to be. You think that you're not where you want to be. You think you don't have the things that you want to have. But reality is when you take the moment to step up, to lift up, to look down on everything that you are and everything that's made you who you are today, you realize that maybe you're not where you want to be, but you're exactly where God needs you to be. Okay, now we're about to go even deeper. Because you mentioned the word God, so you opened that door. So we're going deeper. Get right into it. Moses went to the top of the hill to ask God, who should I tell them sent me? The first thing is, why would Moses need to ask God, who should I tell them sent me? You already called him God. So why do you need to ask who? Well, that's because the word God is not a name. It's a description. It means creator or supreme being. That's like me asking you, man, who should I tell them sent me? It's a description. And so God answered him. He said, tell them I am sent me. And Moses goes, I am what? I am that I am. Basically, I am whatever the fuck they want me to be. What are the two words we use to describe ourselves? The first two words we always use to describe ourselves is I am. Which means whenever we use those two words, we recognize that we are God. And we are about to create our reality next. I am that I am. When I read The Power of Awareness by Neville, he has a description of I am. He says, I am cannot be divided. I'm, I may conceive myself to be a rich man, a poor man, a beggar man, a thief, but the center of my being remains the same, regardless of the concept I hold of myself. At the center of manifestation, there is only one I am manifesting in legions of forms and concepts of itself, and I am that I am. I am is the self-definition of the absolute, the foundation on which everything rests. I am the first cause substance. I am is the self-definition of God. Every single person on this podcast listening and everyone else that's not listening, every last one of us is the master creators of our reality. Through our six mental faculties, as Bob teaches, perception, will, reason, intuition, imagination, and memory. Do you realize that we are the only creatures on the planet that has all six of those mental faculties. The power to create anything. Except we use our perception to see obstacles instead of opportunities. We use our reason to come up with excuses rather than solutions. We use our free will to stay in our comfort zone rather than push us out of it into the unknown to create the beautiful life we like to create. We use our imagination to picture things to go that will go wrong rather than what will go right. We turn our intuition off, which is our connection to everything. And we use our memory to dwell on what went wrong instead of getting the positive understandings from the past to apply to the now. 
not even apply to the future, to apply to the now. When we recognize, and this is one of the biggest things that changed for me when it came to self-image. When I recognize that I am God with a small g. I didn't say big G. I didn't create everything. But I am a sunbeam from the sun. Because what else is consciousness other than the breath of God? I'm not my hand. I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. I am the awareness and the observer behind it all. That is consciousness. That is nothing different than the sunlight that's sitting outside of my window right now. Even though I can't see the direct beam to the sun, I know the sunlight that's shining through my window comes from that big orange thing in the sky. I know that. I don't need to believe that. I know it. Consciousness is no more than the breath of God. You might not be able to see the beam going directly to it, but it's there. That's the awareness. That's the thing that even allows you to even know that you're alive. Because every other creature on the earth has no idea they're even alive. They have no self-awareness. I don't know how to say correctly, but cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore, I am. Descartes said that in the 1600s. He also said, who am I? He asked the question, but maybe he wasn't asking the question. Maybe he realized life was asking him the question, just as Moses asked God the question. And that's the realization that some philosophers has this idea. You're not even real. The only thing you can be sure of is that you're aware. Everything else could just be an illusion. Everything else could be fake. But to your point, and to, your, and to what you said, there's a lot of things to be realized in this idea of I think, therefore, I am. And this idea, too, that using God as a descriptor, the small g, as a description rather than a name. Because it puts this idea that's just bigger than one thing. And I think for a lot of times when you talk about an entity, especially an all-powerful one, you have to look at it from a lens of how does it affect everything else. And I even, even just to segue it slightly, too, when, I, when you think about I am whatever they imagine me to be or need me to be i think about one of the final scenes in uh in one of the batman one of the original batman movies with christian bale and he told um the police deputy and he said i am what the city needs me to be right he claimed to be the murderer of the other guy when the other guy was a bad guy because he said right now the city needs me to be this guy it doesn't matter that they'll crucify me for it but the city needs Batman to be that guy, right? And it's just, and it's, I, there's so much recognition that comes with that, especially when you realize that it can come from within, right? To understand that you are a breath of God through, through consciousness, that's a gift and it's a blessing, but it's also an understanding of self, of understanding what you think. And I think the coolest aspect that I think anyone can experience, or one of the coolest ones, is understanding some of the ideas of applicable philosophy and Christianity at the same time. Mm -hmm. Understanding that, like for me, I'm a huge Stoic. I don't know if you're familiar with the philosophy. Are you? Uh, not much, no. Okay. Basically. En enlighten me, please. Absolutely. 
this idea of stoicism, and a lot of times people hear stoic and they hear emotionalist, calm, all this sort of, that's the modern idea of it. But it originated from Zeno. This was um, in the Roman times, but he basically was a merchant, lost everything um, through some bad storms. And he went like wandering around and did some inward reflection. A lot of times have these origins of like some of the religions too. Um, and he started teaching. There was the teachings of Zeno. And it kind of came to this point where it was, I cannot control the external of the world. I can only control what, you know, what's inside, right? So it's the idea mm -hmm. of forego the external, right? The external locus of control and focus on the internal. What can you do internally, right? Okay, I'm stuck in traffic. Well, I can't do anything about the traffic, but what can I do? I can make use of it. I can think, I can like, right? It's this idea of, you do not react. You control your reactions, right? You're mm -hmm. proactive in your dealings and you're not, you never put blame. You never take anything of the outside personally and you create your perception of it. And you also create this idea of changing happening to you and then for you. And so what the Stoics believed, and I think what's important that you mentioned a lot is this emotional, right? There's no, a lot of people don't have the emotional maturity because they never fully did the healing necessary to evolve and to mature in that aspect. What the Stoics believed was an understanding of emotion, understanding of where it came from, where it stemmed from, but from a rational standpoint. So they mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. use it and cultivate it. And I've always had this saying too, and the Stoics believed that you don't let emotions, a temporary feeling, control a permanent decision. You don't go into yeah. a job because of happiness. You go into it because of purpose, because of meaning, because of impact. Things that will last. Emotions are byproducts. They're the body's response to the mind. That's the important part to realize. You don't seek things out of emotions or... The, you, go ahead. You got something. No, no, no. I was just shifted in my seat. Okay. Listen, I am too. No. Um, but this idea is that there's a lot of things that we focus on that are only supposed to be byproducts of other things that we should be focusing on. A lot of the external stuff should only come as a byproduct of what we do. And let me see what I mean by that. This idea, and I want to start with a bigger theme, legacy. Money is not the focus of life and money does not show a good legacy, right? Having money doesn't mean you left a good legacy. Money is created as a byproduct of living through a legacy with values, with intention, and with meaning created for yourself and for others, right? Developing yourself as a person, developing yourself as an individual, growing in every area, spiritually, mentally, financially, emotionally, and all these, and physically. As a byproduct, you might get a partner that's right for you because they see you've done the work necessary for yourself and they might have a high standard for that. The focus isn't getting the girl of your dreams. The focus is being the man of your dreams who attracts the girl. It's this, it's this idea. You got to stop looking elsewhere for the man you are already inside. And to kind of send it back to you, because I feel like we keep, we keep just thinking about a bunch of things as we, as we hear each other. It's this idea that every man thinks he has two natures. And his second nature begins when he realizes he only has one. Because the first one went to the grave with Jesus all those years ago. That one's dead. But we feel as if it's we need to keep it with us, right? It's this idea of attachment. We don't want to let go because it forces mm -hmm. us to realize a new identity, right? We're always talking about our bad version of ourselves. And honestly, I believe this to be the key component that holds a lot of people back. And it's also the key portrayer in a lot of those issues such as suicide and depression. It's that first nature taking over. 
those ideas that are already gone. They've already been put to the grave, but we want to bring them back because it gives us an assurance, even if it's toxic and negative, it gives us an assurance of what maybe may be familiar. But when that one's gone, that's when we truly step into our new light, which is the second nature that's always been there. The only nature that still lives. I'm just fangirling over here over 19 years. I just think I, I can't get it out of my mind because, man, I wish I had this mind at 19 years old. Good God. But anyway, I digress. Emotions. I love everything you said. I like to say that emotions are surround sound for the body. That's it. The emotions are the surround sound of your life. I have a thought. That thought tr triggers a chemical reaction to produce a sensation so that I can feel what I'm thinking. That's all it is. It's surround sound for life, emotions. We make them more than what they are. Our emotions aren't there to torture us. They're signals, like traffic signals. That's it. They're signals. My anger tells me where to look. My sadness tells me where to look. My hurt tells me where to look inside and what work I need to do on the inside. The second thing you mentioned about legacy, I actually have a different. I talk about legacy a little differently. To me, legacy is ego. And it's driven by all ego. And the reason why I say that is because how much do you care about legacy when you're asleep? When you're asleep, how much do you actually care? You don't. You're asleep. How do you know you're asleep? You don't know, you're, you don't know you've been asleep until you wake up the next day. So you don't actually care about any of this shit when you're asleep. How do you think you're going to feel about it when you're dead? Oh, I just want everybody to, you know, talk highly of me when I'm dead. Who cares? You're dead. You're dead. You won't know how they're talking about you. Oh, this is what I want my, at my funeral. Who cares? You're dead. You won't know if they did it or not. Why are you spending your life focusing on stuff that you won't even care about when you're dead? If the doctor only gave you 30 days to live, are the things you are doing right now what you will be doing during those 30 days? I think not. You'd be spending more time doing things that are actually more important to you. And the only reason why that triggered you to become so present to the moment was the fact that the doctor gave you 30 days to live. Well, who says you got more than 30 days right now? Tell me, let me know. Let, if you got proof of when you are going to die, let me know. I would like to get that proof as well. But I can sum up all philosophies and spiritual teachings in three sentences. You ready? Don't be a dick. It's all made up and live like you're dying because you are. Simple. Don't be an asshole. It's all made up. So stop comparing yourself because when you compare, you die. You lose every single time. It's all made up. What does it mean to be a successful man? Some dude 
made that shit up a long time ago. Everybody agreed. And now everyone is comparing themselves to what that person set as the standard of what success is. What is a man? Somebody decided. Everybody agreed. And now that's what everyone compares themselves to. And most of them are dead men whose value systems fit during the time that they were in. Most people aren't even living in 2022. They're living in 1648, 1958, uh, 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 931 BC. They're listening to dead men. Fuck what they said. What do you think? That's my question. What do you think? Forget the life that you were told that you're supposed to want. What do you actually want? Life is about creation. It's not about standards. That's why Jesus said the kingdom belongs to the children. Why? Because they're all about creation. And when they're done creating one thing, they just go on to the next. They create until they're done creating, and then they change without anyone's permission or forgiveness. That's true creation. People afraid of failure. Failure is not even real. Did you care? Did you, look at a four-year-old. Do you see they care about failure? No. They just do it until they're done doing it. They either get it right or they get tired of it and they switch. And then we go, you're a quitter. What? No, I'm just tired of trying this. I'm going to switch to something else. We've placed so much judgment on people's creation of their own lives based on standards created by dead men. That we've lost our childlikeness, which is why people are walking around depressed. They're walking around lonely. They hate their lives. They need happy hour. Because the childlike in them, the kingdom, as Jesus called it, the kingdom that's within you was beat out of them by society. And we're trying to do all this learning to figure out who we need to be. No, it's all the unlearning you need to do. That's why he said, in order to enter the kingdom, become childlike again. That means go back to who you were before the world put its all put all its bullshit on you. It's not about what you need to learn. It's what you need to unlearn. Oh, man, I love this. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever read this book and it's called The Power of Now Eckhart Tolle I was about to start reading it to you bro I, <laughs> listen, listen the conversation I gotta read one paragraph from this because I literally I was like this is just remind me so much of this I cannot live with myself any longer this was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought it was Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, there must be two of me, the I and the self that I cannot live with. Maybe, I thought, only one of them is real. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there was no more thoughts. Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first then accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear, and my body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing, as if spoken inside my chest. 
I could feel myself being sucked into a void. It felt as if the void was inside me rather than outside. Suddenly, there was no more fear, and I let myself fall into that void. I have no recollection of what happened after that. When he awoke, he basically said that it felt light. It felt as if I had let go of all the baggage, and I was able to marvel at the beauty of the present, of the power of the now. And I'm like, like, what better way to summarize a lot of what we've been saying that this idea of letting go of not only your past, but also letting go of the expectations, the demands, and the, and the standards placed by others on us. And there's another point that I want to bring to what you were just saying. This idea of comparison being the thief of joy is so important to realize because when you talk about looking at others and comparing yourself by the standards of others, you're not able to fully tune into your authenticity and your meaningful purpose because your purpose is unique, which means it's only you that has it. So if you're comparing yourself on standards of someone else's purpose or mission or vision, it's not suited to you. It's not cookie cutter. That lock doesn't, that key doesn't fit that lock. That's not how it works. And so I think it's also this, this idea that right now, and I don't, I, I never want to talk in a negative sense, but just understanding the reality of it, society is at a point where it's questioning a lot of the systems that are in place. And while that's a good thing, the problem is when you try to combat chaos with chaos instead of order, you get a mixture of lack of understanding of identity. People right now are getting rid of systems that have been in place for so long without creating their own individual shields or systems of their own to deal with this just beingness, right? For a lot of people, they're not at a place to deal with the fullness and the existence of being. So what happens is if you take a system that tells you how to be and it's comforting, right? There's no risk involved with it because it's established and you get rid of it, you demonize it, but then you have no way of dealing with a new chaos that comes out of it. It can be very fearful. And for a lot of people, it can cause a lot of problems. There's, there's two main examples that I think of. And the first one was, I think, there was a book written about it. I, didn't, I never read the full book, but a friend told me about it. And it was a woman who disguised herself as a guy to experience the issues that guys went through. So her life, she lived as a woman, and now she's disguising herself as a guy, living as a guy, like all these sort of things. And I think she did it for two years. And I believe after she wrote the book, I think three to six months after she committed suicide, and my tangent with this is that sometimes when you don't understand what's on the other side, because chaos, chaos can go a lot of ways, right? Chaos is, is different in so many levels of how it, how it operates in our head and how we see it. When you go to a different side without first understanding why you're going to that side or how you're going to exist in that side, it's the whole argument of the grass is green on the other side. And a lot of times it's not. And I think, and especially going back to the stoic idea, it's this idea of having order within chaos. And I assume you've read this book too, Flow, Mahali Shuzeski, or mm -hmm. however you say his last name. Great. Mahali, Chick Sent, Mahali, however you say it, yeah. Um, but he had this idea in, I think, page 11 of his book, and it was the shields of culture existing within the protection of something we could identify and associate our identity with to protect ourselves from the unknown. Right now, because we're attacking a lot of the systems and structures that are in place, our identity is starting to become more of a group identity. Oh, I'm part of this community. Oh, I'm against this. I'm part of this movement. 
Our identity is now a group identity. Why? Because when you threaten the systems and structures, your identity needs a safeguard. And when the safeguard mixes with an easy, accessible, already ego attracting because it's a group identity, we want to be accepted. It's very easy to fall in this group identities. So now you ask people who they are and who they are isn't the individual they're supposed to be. It's, oh, I'm part of this group. Oh, I'm part of this community, right? And so that's, that's also another thing too, is when you're trying to find identity, sometimes creating, in a sense, di divorcing yourself from culture, right? Disassociating yourself to find yourself. That's a lot of the trouble that modern day society faces too. Mic drop. Just pure mic drop. Like seriously, I am so impressed by you, kid. I really am. I feel old calling somebody else a kid now. But <laughs> I feel you nailed it though. Not for the first time in like 20 now, but you feel you you nailed it though. And what people have to in that space of the unknown is to recognize that this entire thing is about creation. Who do you want to be? That's it. That's the only question that matters. What is the life that you want to create? And who do you need to be in order to create it? So the exercise I do with my clients is I have them write out the next five years. If I didn't see you in five years for five years, and you wanted to explain to me how well your life has been going for the last five years, that's what you're going to write. And then I have them write out what are the characteristics of the type of person that creates that kind of life? Are they a leader? Are they fearless? Whatever it is. And then they write them all out. And then I say, okay, now circle the ones that you have been currently being right now. And they'll circle like two or three. And all the rest of them that they left, I say, now, what are the opposites of those? And they write out the opposites. And then I say, now, does that make sense why your life is the way it is? Look at who you're being in comparison to who you need to be to create the life you want. I just did it with a woman right before we started. And she said, I need to be a fearless leader. Uh, uh, she just kept writing, kept writing, motivated um professional all this other stuff when she wrote out the opposites and it was i'm stale i am unmotivated i am unprofessional disorganized when she wrote out all the opposites and you just saw the light turn on in her eyes i said now what would happen if you just decided to be these other things instead of this. Cause you, can you see why your life is, is the way it is now? She's like, actually, yeah, I can. And I said, who you are being is creating everything else. And she said, well, she's from Britain. She's like, well, I suppose, right. If I'm just, if I become these things, if I decide to be this, then this life that I want happens automatically. And I'm like, yes, yes. Being is the seed of doing. If I am a vegan, what do vegans do? They veg. If I am a runner, what do runners do? They run. If I am not good enough, what does people who are not good enough do? They're not good enough. Half-ass. Yeah. So whoever you are being will always determine what you do. So it's not a matter... 
Stop looking for what you need to do. Who do you need to be? That's the only question. Everything else is made up. It's made up. Yeah. That's why Morpheus said to Neo, when Neo said he couldn't jump across that building, he said, free your mind. Free your, let go of all the shit that you've been told. Let it go. Yeah. But that's like being in the middle of an ocean from like something like Wicked Tuna and holding on to a buoy for dear life. And here we come with this cruise ship, you and me, we come with this cruise ship and we're like, hey, come over here. It's kind of fun. And they're holding on to this buoy for dear life going, fuck that. I might drown. Well, what you don't know is that the water is so salty and so dense, it's impossible for you to drown. So let go. Well, I think even too, even in that example, if it weren't the case, would you rather hang on to the buoy for the rest of your dear life? And that's what the rest of your life is? Or would you rather take the chance that maybe something goes wrong, but you make it to where you're supposed to be? It might be tough. And you might take everything of your being to get there. But on the other side of it is the journey that you just transgressed to get to the promised land, right? This idea of walking through the desert. Yeah, it sucked, but you were doing it because you knew where you were going. Well, it's like my big brother, Jesus, say it. Let those with ears hear. Leave the rest of them where they at. And that's okay, too. There's one thing that people misunderstood, I think, about Jesus was he never healed anybody that didn't want to be healed. He never just walked around going, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. It would only be people who either came to him or if they were in too much of an incapacitated state, someone else would come to them, uh, come to him for them. And then he would say, do you believe I can heal you? He never healed people for just the sake of healing. Because he respected every soul's journey. We don't know why people came to earth. We don't know why some people's souls are here. Some people are literally here to experience whatever it is that they're experiencing and experience, and we have to respect their journey. All this judgment about, like, if someone wants to spend their entire lives playing video games in their mom's basement. What's wrong with that? If that's what he wants to do, what's wrong with it? It's society going, but that's not a productive citizen. Who made that up? Who made up what a productive citizen is? This kid just loves playing video games. Yes, he's 38. So this grown man just loves playing video games. The only reason why he wants to go kill somebody now is because everyone's making him feel bad about doing what he wants to do. Yeah. Why can't we just leave people alone and let them be whoever they decide they want to be? And when they're done being that, just like a little child, they will choose to be something else. Yeah, there's there's this big idea that nowadays is being very crucified and it's like the world and it's always done this, but right now it's doing it even more un, unknowingly than it's done before. It's always telling you what you what you should be, 
like even a lot of the movements have reinforced this idea of instead of freeing people, it's trying to make them go more one way. Like, yeah. for example, you talk about like this, like a lot of the feminist movement, it's like, you should be the provider, you should be the breadwinner, you should be the entrepreneur. Like, you, there's nothing wrong with telling someone you can be something, but now you're trying to tell them to be something else. And so like, they don't recognize it, but it's even more binding than, it, than it's not in the previous sense. And so what the big idea is, is like, what you have to understand is there's nothing wrong with you being who you want to be. And there's nothing wrong with being happy with whatever you have, right? A lot of people have different things and hustle culture and a lot of movements are trying to tell you like, now you got to be an entrepreneur, you got to do this, or you have to be this. You decide what you want to be. Just make sure that you're happy or not even happy, but that you find meaning in what you're doing. Like I know, I, I assume for you, but even for me, like I know I like being a protector and a provider. I like doing it. Like for me, it's meaningful. I find meaningful to help others, to take responsibility, to take accountability. Like for me, I'd rather do that than not do it. So I don't care if society talks about that and like talks it masculinity. Like screw that. I'm going to be whatever I want to be. That's who I am. So it's like- this That's idea a whole nother topic. Masculinity versus feminine. That's a whole nother topic. <laughs> that is. But it's this idea too. It's like to be who you're going to be be authentic and don't apologize for it. Like there's obviously there's respect, but when it comes to just being you, like it doesn't matter. You could be the most agreeable person in the world, most conflict adverse person in the world. Someone's still going to stick a finger in your face and tell them that, tell you that you, they don't like you. Like that's honestly how the world is. So it's like, well, if it's going to be that, even at the most extreme, why not just be me and help the people that I'll be able to help by being me. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about your contribution to society in this sense. It's about your contribution to society is being the most authentic you you can be, right? Because I'd rather you do something that maybe doesn't help me at all and you would find meaning in it and you're able to do it 100% than half-assing something that maybe helps me. You know what I'm saying? Like, authenticity is your biggest contribution to society. Walking in your purpose is your biggest blessing to society. So, man, it's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed this conversation. I really have. I didn't realize we went as long as we did. I could talk to you all day, man. I know too, man. And so one thing before I, I send it to you for your um where you where people can find you at and your closing takeaways for this for this episode is I think the one author that I always think of on the top of my head who's done a really good job of associating how you need to get where you want to go with identity is James Clear. Atomic habits to me, is the simplest blueprint for transforming your life through identity rather than just goals, metrics, and all this other stuff that a lot of books are doing. So to start somewhere, starting with Atomic Habits, starting small, creates the most change, especially when it comes to identity. But again, I loved having you on. Where can people find you at? And what are some of your closing takeaways for today's episode? Uh, people can find me at CoachSteveBacon.com. My social media handles are there. It's uh, uh, Coach Steve Bacon on Facebook, Coach Steve Bacon on Instagram. They can find me there. Um, my biggest takeaway, to be honest, is you. You, I'm going to talk about you to almost every person that I coach going forward about wisdom being about reflection and not age. I seriously want to give you your flowers. 
at 19 years old, your perspective of the world is absolutely incredible. And I can see that you are supposed to be probably something much bigger than you ever saw for yourself. If this is how you think at 19, imagine who you will be at 40, at 50, at 60. I absolutely, wholeheartedly am inspired by you. And I cannot wait to witness your journey and to see the man that you become because I will be right there with one of those number one hands going, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. And I've been a fan since he was 19. You are my biggest takeaway. Thank you. I appreciate those words, man. Truly, I think it's it's honestly a blessing and it's a responsibility that I think I bear to what I know and what I what I know I'm capable of doing. And not just for myself and not for my family, but like just inclusively the message that I spread to the world. And I think one of the things that I love when I talk to people like you and a lot of the other guests that I've had on this platform, it's just recognizing someone that understands is comfortable with themselves, is proud of who they are, but they continue to grow and they have this idea of proud but never satisfied. Not because they aren't enough, but because they know their potential carries more. And I think talking with people like you, talking with other people, it's always that idea that you maybe are, you're already who you need to be, but that doesn't mean you can't be more. And it's not about having something outside. It's not about these desires. It's not about wanting because wanting is something that you don't have. It's about manifesting potential. It's about realizing unencumbered, undesired potential because it already exists, but it's up here. Now it needs to get out here. So I think my, my takeaway is just, you'll never get anywhere until you change yourself. And you might get somewhere, but you'll always go back to the same old you if you don't change. There's a reason lottery winners lose. 70% of lottery winners go broke within the first 10 years. Lottery winners, people that had no chance of winning this and magically got all this money and they lost it. 70%. That's a shocking number. But really, it isn't shocking at all because they didn't have the identity that was able to, that was capable of handling and managing that kind of money. So you can't expect things to be given to you if you're not able to be the one that deals with them, right? If you can't, I, I, there's this example that I love and it's always just like, you pray to God for things. You pray to God for a cake and he gives you the eggs, the milk and the flour and everything you need to make it. And then you look at him and say, I didn't get a cake. It's like, no, you have everything you need. You have everything you need to do exactly what you were meant to do. and so. As I close off, man, it's just, I appreciate your time. I think this was a beautiful conversation. This is one of those episodes to everyone listening that you don't listen to two times, you listen to 10 times. Um, I know I'd definitely be having this running through my, through my speakers because it's just so important to realize that, again, you are the hero of your own story. You are the person you already need to be. It's just time to realize it. Realize it for you. Don't let anyone else stick a finger in your face and tell you what it is you should believe in or what you should do. Be you. Be
Be proud of it. Be unapologetically you. Gentlemen, you know how we close it off. Chase greatness, chase excellence, and chase the you from tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on the Gentleman's Atlas podcast. If you enjoyed the message, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and share this episode with a friend. You can find more about all our services and previous content on our website, www.thegentlemansatlas.com. Your support is greatly appreciated and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.